0: Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. If your Bibles turned with me again to Matthew eleven, our two text verses are Matthew eleven, twenty eight and twenty nine. Anybody got them when I can read them tonight? Thank you, Dan. We've spent a couple of weeks now uh, already on these two verses, uh, but tonight we're going to look at this using the same verses as our springboard, the perfect completeness of Christ. The perfect completeness of Christ. Who else could that define when we say perfect completeness? No one else, okay? Okay. And so he is unlike anyone else. We began a few weeks ago in verse 28, and we discovered a wonderful, gracious invitation with the promise that if we come unto him, he would give us rest. We live in a world where a lot of people make promises. Isn't that true? And there's nothing wrong with a promise, but sometimes what happens to that promise? It gets broken. And what are some of the reasons? Say it again. Yeah, a hundred different ones. And you know, sometimes it's simply because they couldn't do it. They simply couldn't do it. But if Jesus makes a promise, does he lack the ability to do it? No. Okay. Okay. And so that's why we're looking at the complete, uh, the perfect completeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, come unto me, if you labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. I don't know about you, but I love that rest. I want that rest from my soul. And I think anyone in their right mind would want that. And especially those who are weighted down uh, by guilt, uh those who have tried like I can the early New Testament church uh, tried to live by the law, and people who are really wanting relief, Jesus says, Come unto me and rest. Now again, who else can offer that? No one. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the invitation is for whosoever will but the only way that we'll obtain that rest if we meet the requirements that Jesus gives and to him especially take his yoke upon you and to learn of him. We looked at the yoke a few weeks ago and it really just boils down to surrendering our wills to him, uh, submitting to his authority, and allowing ourselves to be ruled by him. That's taking his yoke upon us. Tonight we want to focus even more so on the part where he says, Learn of me. Now, it's interesting. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 1 in a moment, the first two verses. But Jesus Christ is the antitypical prophet to whom all the old Testament prophets pointed and he alone, Jesus Christ alone, was personally qualified to make known the will of God. Let's read Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2. Okay, thank you, Phyllis. Now, of course, the writer of Hebrews is telling us of the different times that uh, God spoke to us in the past, uh, different ways He spoke uh, in time past, and especially by uh, to the fathers by the prophets. So, who were the prophets? Who were they? I'm not going to the name them, but how would you describe them? Okay, God spoke through them. Which prophet had the entire message? None of them did, okay? And so different times, different ways, in and through different prophets. But then the writer of Hebrews says, now something new. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. What in the world does that mean? What what does that signify? Okay? Would you agree that Jesus Christ is God's final word? Amen. There are no need for anymore, for we now have the fullness of the word of God. Now, so the writer of Hebrews lets us know, yes, there been days gone by, he spoke through the prophets, and again, they were God's men, called by God, uh, qualified by God, to give the message of God. Sometimes it just Uh, forth-telling God's Word. Sometimes it was foretelling ahead of time. But nonetheless, they got their message from God. And again, which prophet had it all? None of them did, okay? But also notice, now he's speaking through his son, but he qualifies this by saying that he also appointed his son to be heir of all things by whom he also made the world. What other prophet did he give that promise to? None. Only Jesus Christ fits that bill. He's the one who's been appointed the heir of all things. Now, also understand that when it comes to the church, Jesus Christ is still the grand teacher of the church. And every other teacher, every other pastor, no matter who it is, is, is supported support to him, and they're also appointed by him. Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. Okay, thank you, Dan. Now, here in Ephesians 4, Paul gives us a list of gifted people that God has provided. Well, actually, Christ, the word he there is Christ. Christ gave some apostles, some were prophets, some were evangelists, some were pastor teachers. And, of course, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to edify the body of Christ. So, again, who's the giver here? Jesus Christ. Keep it in mind. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's also the feeder of the flock. Now, whether it's an apostle, uh, whether it's an evangelist, uh, whether it's a, a prophet, uh, whether it's a pastor or a teacher, who do they all learn from? They learn from Jesus. Who does he learn from? Okay, he is God, so who's he learn from then? Do the what? Okay. But he's God, so who does God learn from? Why? Right. Jesus doesn't learn from anybody either. He's God. Also, understand he's the he's the perfect completeness, if you will, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of His under shepherds, no matter who they are, they learn from Him and they receive from Him. Jesus Christ is a personal Word in whom and through whom uh, God's divine. Persons are wonderfully displayed. Uh, John one eighteen. we were there in Sunday school Sunday morning. Look what it says. John one eighteen. Okay, again, John makes a statement. No man has seen God at any time except for the only begotten Son. And who's the only begotten Son? Jesus, and Christ came, he's in the bosom of the Father, and Christ came to declare God. Toward the end of his ministry in John 14, uh, one of the disciples said, Father, show us the Father, what did Jesus say? You've seen me, you've seen God, you've seen the Father. Why? Because I and the Father are one. So again, nobody's seen God except for Christ, and he has come to declare God. So if we are going to understand and be instructed on heavenly doctrine, we have to come to Christ. We have to learn of Him. And of course, as we learn upon Him, our faith is strengthened and we will build up on our faith. So when Jesus said, learn of me, what a statement that was. So my question would be, who better to learn from? No one, okay? Okay. He is the best one to learn from. So not only is Jesus the final spokesman of God, but he's also the only one by whom the divine will is fully uttered or fully given out. But he's also the greatest example set before you and I. Thank God for his perfect completeness. Now, God has called me to preach the word, to teach the word. And so, I believe that my greatest obligation is to pro- proclaim the truth. But how many know that Jesus Jesus did more than proclaim the truth? He is what? He is that truth. And that makes all the difference in the world. He's the embodiment of that truth. He did more than speak the will of God. Christ is the personal example of the will of God now remember he was in the beginning with God we learned that Sunday morning in Sunday school he was with God and he was God and so he is our perfect example so think about this Jesus said i want you to come and learn of me learn of him and it's interesting the requirements, taking on our yoke and learning of him, uh, they are certainly set forth in a perfect way in the character and the conduct of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm trying to get some statistics ready for Sunday school Sunday morning. But I did read part of it. Four out of five Americans claim to be Christian. And I put that word claim there, okay? But just because you claim it doesn't make, make you one. And here's what shocked me. And I forget what percentage it was. I'm going to look that up again and try to make some notes for Sunday, uh, Sunday school. Some of those who claim to be Christians believe that Jesus sinned while he was here on this earth. What's wrong with that? Do what? Did he sin? How you know? Yeah, even without sin, okay? It amazes me that somebody who claimed to be a Christian would say that Jesus, they don't know the Bible. Wait a minute, they're Christians. (laughs) They don't know the Bible. You know, folks, the sad thing is, churches are filled with people who claim to be Christians who don't know the Bible. They don't know the Word of God. But nonetheless, When Jesus had taken his yoke upon and learned of him, those were perfect in his conduct and in his character. What do we mean by that? He had no character flaws. He was perfect in his character. He was also perfect and sinless in his conduct. Would you agree... That sets him apart from all of the other prophets in the Bible? Sure. Was Moses perfect in his character and his conduct? No. Was Isaiah? No. Was Jeremiah? No. And we could go through the whole litany of prophets in the Old Testament. None of them were perfect in their character or in their Conduct. So I want to say tonight that Jesus Christ was radically different from anybody who came before him or anybody who will come after him. Nobody is like Jesus. His perfect completeness. Now, by the way, that is not to say that the prophets of the Old Testament were not men of God. They were. Then it's not to say that the apostles were not men of God. They were. But it doesn't matter whether you're an Old Testament prophet or a New Testament apostle. Only thing they could do is shed scattered rays of light. The light that God had given them for that particular time. Say it again. 100% human. And here's what's interesting. How many know the light they shared was simply because they were a reflection of God? Meaning they were not God. They were not completely perfect like Christ is. The Bible refers to Christ several times as the son of righteousness. And so that's why he is completely qualified to say, learn of me. The thought just came to me a moment ago about the Apostle Paul. And I know at least one time, if not two times, uh, he would write to the church and say, Follow me as I do what? As I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Meaning what? If I don't follow Christ, don't follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. So when we think about the teaching of Christ, was there any error in his teaching? No, not at all. Was there any blemish in his character? Not at all. Was there even the slightest flaw in his conduct? No. So again, who else matches up to that? No one else. And so when we think about the life that Jesus lived, his life gives us a perfect standard of holiness. He gives us a perfect pattern to follow, a perfect example for us to follow every day of our lives. John eight twenty five. Let that sink in for a moment. Now remember, these are his enemies. They're trying to um, trip him up, and yet they're flabbergasted. And I hope you can hear it in their voice. Who are you? And what was his answer? Yeah, the same thing. I told you from the very beginning. Aren't you glad our politicians are like that today? Huh? You know, we know better than that. We know better than that. But when they asked Jesus, who are you? Jesus affirmed that he was essentially and absolutely what he declared himself to be. Now, if you were here Sunday morning in our adult class in Sunday school, the Word became flesh, we know that. Uh, But John also said He was the light of the world, the light of men. In Him is no darkness. And what's interesting is this. Well, let me ask it in the form of a question. Why was Jesus 100% qualified To speak of light. Because of what? He is light. Because he is light. Why was he 100% qualified to speak of truth? Because he's truth. Because he is truth. Jesus said, I have spoken of the light. I am that light, by the way. I have spoken the truth, and I am that truth. I'm the incarnation of light and truth. I'm the personification of light and truth. And I am the exemplification of light and truth. I am light and truth. And so therefore, I am perfectly qualified, completely qualified, to speak about We don't have time tonight to go through them all, but I think there are at least seven or eight I am statements that Jesus made. I am the light. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the bread of life. And they on and on. Which of those are true? All of them. Who else can say that? No one. I am. And here's what's interesting. Only Jesus could really say, I am myself. Yeah. I am myself and I am what I'm speaking to you about. I am the light and I am the truth. And I would hope and pray that you and I, as children of God, that we speak the truth of God. I pray that we walk in truth. But my friend, we are not the truth. Guess who is? Jesus is. Jesus Christ is uh, the truth. And we are commanded by Jesus to let our light shine. And we may let our light shine. But we are not the light. Christ was and he is. It's in that fact alone, among many others, that's not going to knock any more on, that we see his exalted uniqueness. He is the light. He is the truth. Who are you? The very one I told you from the beginning. I haven't changed. And by the way, when will he change? He won't. He's the light and the truth. First John 5.20. Thank you, Phyllis. First three words of first John five twenty, and we know. What does that mean? We know. Now, folks, I want to tell you it's important what you know. And don't take this wrong, but how you feel doesn't matter. You realize that? I don't know what's going on in our world lately. Uh, but I caught it a few years ago when one of my nephews was going through some, uh, classes on how to behave better. And they were, they were all caught up on how you feel. I feel like, how you feel when you got an upset stomach, you feel that. But what, what, what about your emotions? How, how trustworthy are they? They're not. And Jesus, or John says, about you we know and folks I want you it's important what you know but my question is how do you know what you know through the word of God don't worry about my opinion or yours what does the Bible say So John says, we know, no doubt about it, that the Son of God has come. Who is that? Jesus. We know. But not only did he come, John said, he gave us an understanding. (laughs) And the reason is, so that we might know him, that is true. Not just the one who taught the truth, but the one who is the truth. We know that the Son of God has come. And we also know he's given us an understanding. By the way, let me remind you of something very important. You remember that, I know you do, uh, in Matthew 16, about verse 16, uh, Jesus uh, ask the disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they had different answers. Some say, uh, you know, Elijah, come back to life, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, what? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. You know what Jesus said to Peter? Say it again. Only God, Only God revealed it to you. You didn't learn it Sunday school. You didn't learn it by studying one of the rabbis. God spoke that to your heart. And God sent Jesus Christ so that you and I and John himself and the other apostles, all Christians could gain an understanding of who Christ is. Not just one who taught the truth, but the fact that he is the truth. But notice what else. John goes on to say, and we are in him that is true." Wait a minute, who is John? What gave him that right to say that? What did he know about Jesus? Three and a half years, he lived and ate, slept with him, ministered with him. John said, we handled the word of life. We handled him, we touched him. In Sunday school, we talked about that word became flesh. And John said, he tabernacle among us. And we beheld, we saw his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. John said, we saw it. Oh, what about that time when the amount of transfiguration, what they saw? And John began to understand. We know him that is true. Not just one who taught the truth, but John said, we know the one who is true. Now, by the way, you know in the Gospel of John, John never identifies himself as the author of it. He never talks about himself directly, but every scholar who studies John and the writing of it agree that John is the author. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was referring to himself, of course. And so John was certainly a worthy apostle, as, as were so, many of the rest of them as well. And John certainly taught the truth, but was John the truth? No. John couldn't make that claim. John would go on to write in the book of Revelation, climb up into the heavens. Did that make him the truth? No. He taught the truth, but he was not the truth. And it's interesting. Because Jesus can make that claim. When he claimed that I am altogether that which I spoke unto you about. I have been changed. I am who I said I was and I will be him for eternity. Jesus said I am the living embodiment. I am the personal Example of everything I teach. And again, I can teach about the truth because why? I am the truth. I can teach about light. Why? Because I am light. I am the perfect example of everything I teach. So, my question is, would you agree that he's the perfect example for us to follow? And that's why he can say, "Learn of me, Learn of me." first peter two twenty one. What did Jesus leave us? Example. Now I realize Peter, in the context of writing about suffering, but when you agree that we know that Jesus suffered we're to follow him in that area, but when you agree that Christ has left an example of every area every area of life to follow, he has left us an example, and Peter says we should follow his steps. So, as Christians, a couple of things we should do. Number one. We need to imitate His holiness. First Corinthians eleven verse one. I, I referred to that verse a moment ago. First Corinthians eleven one. What's Paul saying? Yeah, follow me, as I also am of Christ. Now, this is only my opinion, but I believe when we talk about apostles, Paul would be at the top of the list, in my opinion. That's only my opinion, okay? But wouldn't you agree, even the best of men are but men at best? Which means what? Say it again, Dan. Who are you talking about, Dan? Everybody. All of us, except Christ. The best of men are but men at best. And Dan, you're right. They're not perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody told me one time that at the cross the ground's level. It's all level. Every man or woman has their errors. We all have defects. Don't tell Pam that, okay, about me. It'll shock her. <laughs> and by the way, Dan, you, you didn't hesitate when you said that a while ago. Why? Just a fact. We 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 may not like it, but it's the fact. And so we acknowledge that. And so whenever men, even godly men, whenever they differ in an area from Christ, our duty is to differ from them. And we have to understand that. And I don't care who the person is, man or woman, doesn't matter how wise they are, how whole they might be, none of those would be the perfect example for us to follow. So that being said, my question is, who sets the standard for perfection? Jesus Christ. So who shall we follow? Jesus Christ. And so he alone is the rule of every Christian's walk. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 12. Dan, want read that last part real quick three times? I'm kidding, Dan. It's kind of a tongue twister, isn't it? Paul said, not as though I had already attained. Not as though I was already perfect. Paul said, but I'm following after. If that I may. Apprehend that. For which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So let's kind of look at it backwards, all right, in reverse order. The last statement Paul makes, he says he has been apprehended of Christ Jesus. Meaning what? Yeah, yeah, okay, for a reason. And the perfect will of God for every believer is to be conformed in the image of his son Jesus Christ. So Paul realizes that's why I've been captured. God has a plan. So Paul says, I'm already there, I'm already perfect. You're shaking your head no, Dan. No. Look what it says. Not as though I've already attained. No, not yet. Not as though I'm already perfect. Now, who's writing this? Paul. And by now, I would suggest he's Paul be aged. Then he says... But I follow after, if that I may apprehend what I've already been captured for. So what's Paul saying? He's pressing forward. I'm not there yet. And my goal is that one day that I may apprehend it. So I will continue to follow after that. And so even though we fall short of teaching that kind of standard in this life, I think Paul is telling us nothing short of that goal of apprehending what Christ caught us for, nothing else, we should not settle for anything less. Strive after that mark. First John, two six. What does that verse tell us? Oh, come on, Phyllis. You're being awful hateful. Narrow-minded, may I say? That's right. John said, if you say you abide in Christ, if you say that you abide in Him, you ought to walk the same way He walked. So again, if we abide in Christ, who's our pattern to be? For example, Jesus. That word ought, they're kind of interesting. And you can talk a lot of things about the ought. But I'm going to you something, folks. Anyone who professes Christ... And there are no evidences in their life. There are no evidence in the desire of their endeavor to follow his example. What they're saying is vain. It is vain. A friend of mine called me yesterday and I've known him for years. Um, <clears throat> he's been a Christian for many, many years and... Uh, problem what well, he used to teach he used to teach Sunday school in adult class years ago. But all of a sudden he couldn't find a church good enough for him. He was looking for a perfect church. What's wrong with that? There isn't one. This church used to be till I came here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh and again I I try to be nice to people most of the time. And I was nice to him and he was talking about How he he doesn't go to church. I said, yeah, but you need to, and you know that. You need to find somewhere to go. And of course, he gave me this stuff. Well, I'll probably read the Bible more than anybody else. So, anyway, you know, and again, I'm not doubting to salvation. You know, I think through the time he did receive Christ as a Savior, but he's certainly not where he needs to be. I've shared this example many, many times. At a time when Alexander the Great was judging a young man, and I forget what this young man did, but it certainly broke the law and was very, um, wow, not a good example at all to those around him. And Alexander the Great said, young man, what is your name? And he said, well, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great said, young man, either change the way you live or change your name. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of Christians who name the name of Christ, either to change that name, Or change the way they live. And John said if we abide in him, if we say we do, we need to live our lives according to his example. I told you a moment ago that uh, it was God's will for everyone in in the family of God to be conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8, 29 says so. Look what it says. Thank you, Dan. Now, verse 29 begins to talk about God's foreknowledge. And the only thing He predestined for individuals was to be conformed to the image of His Son. What does it mean to be conformed to the image of the Son? Thank you, Dan. Two weeks, three weeks, four years, five years. We meet a lifetime, Dan. It takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime. Takes a lifetime. Now, that work was begun here. The day you got saved, that work began in your life. But it will not be perfected. Until we get to heaven. I don't think the verse... I mean, The problem is when you're studying for this at Sunday school and you're messy, you forget which verse you use where sometimes. But John wrote in one of his letters... John said, one thing I do know, when I see him, guess what? I will be just like him. I will see him as he is. And so that work that began the day we were saved would not be perfected until after death. But here's the thing. That work cannot be consummated in heaven unless it commenced first on earth. Isn't that true? But also understand, the one who began that work in you he will complete it. He will complete it. And so what we're seeing here, by abiding in Christ, walking after the example, is a practical conformity between God's Son and those who become sons of God through faith in Christ. And my friend, that conformity as sons of God is indispensable when it comes to our relation in grace. Because that is what gives us the relationship between the body and the head. And who is the body of Christ? The church. But who's the head? Christ is. So don't miss this, church. You and I as children of God, we are members of a living organism of which Christ is the head. First Corinthians twelve twelve. Uh, First Corinthians twelve twelve. Are you in the right place or am I wrong? Was that First Corinthians 12, 12? It was. Hmm. That's what I got here. That ain't what mine says. Oh, wait a minute. How about 1 Corinthians 12, 13? Come on, fillers. You should know what I was trying to say. i got it wrong on the notes too. I'm sorry. Thank you for my apologies. I know what I did. I had both versions. and I eliminated one, but I got to change my notes on that. For by one spirit, how many spirits are there? One. We are all baptized into one body. How many bodies? One. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, And be made to drink into one spirit. Now, by the way, you can mark that, make a note of this. That is the only definitive verse on what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is in the Bible. The only definitive verse on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're baptized into one body. That, my friend, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, I hope I got this right, because I apologize. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. So the two together, the members and the head, and the members, the body of Christ and Christ himself, form that mystical union. We are the body. Christ is the head. So would you agree? The head should control the body yes and because the head is pure the head is holy what should we strive for same thing the same thing i think about this for a moment We've seen old horror movies. Uh, And we know that an animal with a human head would be a monstrosity. And for those who continue to live sensual lifestyles and godless lifestyles, for them to claim oneness with Christ Is simply misrepresenting Christ before the world. We have to understand how important it is that our lives resemble Christ. He's the head. We're the body. And the reason that's true is because it's in Christ, we are baptized by the same Spirit, which would include grace and holiness. Psalm 45, look at verse 7. A lot of theologians believe the oil of gladness is this emblem of the Holy Spirit. And God has given that for us. So we have the same spirit. We're baptized in the same body. And because we are the body of Christ, our lives should produce the same fruits And once we're saved, works are to be produced. And everything is according to the proportion of the Holy Spirit and the grace He gives upon our lives. Paul wrote an entire chapter on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how He's the one who dispenses them uniquely as He wills. And that is certainly the, the very reason that God has given us the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 3, look at verse 18. But
1: we are, open face and holy, that are cleansed the glory of the Lord, are changed to the same image of glory, glory, even
0: as the Spirit of Thank you. The Spirit of God is working in our lives, and changing us from one glory to another, is all by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let me leave you with this and that. We'll pick it up next week on the second point of that. Certainly Jesus Christ is a perfect, complete example for us to follow. And if we abide in Him, if we claim to abide in Him, Our lives are markedly different. We live according to His example. Let's stop there for tonight. We'll go to the Lord in prayer. I kept thinking most of the day, I want to pray especially Brother Marvin.